Do you know what it means to say, stop the scroll? Do you know what it means if somebody causes you to stop the scroll? Have you ever heard that phrase before? Let me tell you something. There are people who are spending millions of dollars to figure out how to get people to stop the scroll. So this is the scroll, all right? If I'm on the gram, that's Instagram if you don't know. I feel so relevant today beginning the message this way. <laughs> if you don't know what I'm talking about, just tune in in two minutes. Just come back to us. But the scroll is if you're on social media and you're just spending time, just scro- you know, you're just scrolling with, and you see something and it causes you to stop. That, that has the power to stop the scroll. And so I want to tell you this morning, What has the power to stop the scroll for me? When I see videos on social media about the reunion of firefighters or police officers or EMT people who saved somebody's life, and then all of a sudden, like, there's this reunion where they see them for the first time, I always watch that. Or if I'm watching, if if a video pops up uh, about somebody who gave an organ to someone, and so that person's uh, maybe family meets with the person who received the, the organ. I always watch that. And I have to tell you that when I sit in restaurants, I really try to mind my own business. I try not to listen to what's going on. Uh, but, you know, oftentimes, like I, I just am always listening for these types of stories And I don't know if it's ever happened to you where you're sitting in a booth or the table and you're just hearing like this interaction and you realize, whoa, this is some serious conversation going. And you know how you try to mind your own business and you just can't do it? That's how I am when I'm looking at these stories online about people uh, who have saved someone else's life. I love to hear like that interaction of what's being said. And, And the reason that I bring this to your attention this morning is because that's what we're studying today. Like we're eavesdropping on Jonah talking to God after he saved Jonah's life. That's what we're looking at. So we're in, uh, we're like at the last verse of chapter one in Jonah. And I invite you, if you have your Bible to turn there, if you don't have a Bible, can I just say this to you? We would love to give you one. We believe the greatest gift that we can give you is the investment of the word of God into your life. And so today, as you turn to like the the last part of Jonah chapter one, and we're going to look through Jonah chapter two, here's what I want you to have in the back of your mind. We are listening. We're stopping the scroll this morning, and we're listening into the conversation that Jonah is having with God after God just saved his life. That's what we're looking at this morning. So here's what's happened so far. Jonah is a prophet of God and God has spoken to him and God has said, Jonah, here's what I want you to do. I want you to get up. I want you to go to Nineveh and I want you to preach the message that I'm going to tell you. And Jonah got up and he went in the exact opposite direction because he said, I'm not preaching to those people. I don't want to do that. And so he literally went and paid money and bought a ticket to get on a boat to go the opposite direction of what God was calling him to do. Well, God responds to sin. I want you to know that. And God responded to Jonah's sin. 
And the scripture says that God hurled judgment onto Jonah. In, this is all in chapter 1. By bringing this great storm up on the boat that Jonah was on. And all of a sudden, the, the, uh, the, the mariners, the people who were uh, guiding the boat, they're, they're scared. And they start saying, what's going on? And they start praying and seeking God. And Jonah says, this is all because of me. Jonah finally owns it. When he can't get out of it, he owns it. And he says, this is all because of me. And the mariners say, well, what are we supposed to do? And he said, honestly, if you throw me overboard, the storm will stop. And so they start praying more, and they're working really hard to not have to do this. But eventually they get to the place where they have no choice. And so they give Jonah the baptism, if you know what I mean, right? They threw him overboard. They threw him overboard. And the word of God says the storm storm stopped. And so this morning, I just want you to understand that we're not jumping into the beginning of the story. We're jumping into the story at this moment in time. And so we're eavesdropping on the salvation of Jonah and what he says to God. It's an incredible story. Let's pick it up in verse 17. So Jonah is sitting out there bobbing up and down like a cork in the sea. And the word of God says, and the Lord appointed. This was no accident. The Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. And then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress. And he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you have cast me into the deep. Jonah knows this is from God. He says, for you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. And your waves and your billows passed over me. And then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall look again upon your holy temple." The waters closed in over me to, make, to take my life, and the deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountain. I went down to the land whose bars closed up on me forever. Yet you brought my life up from the pit, O Lord my God. And when my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord And my prayer came to you into your holy temple. And those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with a voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Verse 10. And the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah out. Upon the dry land. Lord, as we open your word of God this morning, as we navigate through it, as we go through the different verses, as we think about these different things, we want to we beg you, O oh God, may we do more than learn stuff this morning. May this morning not be wasted in the sense that we, we hear biblical truth and we file it away as interesting and then we leave unchanged. Oh, Lord, we call upon you this morning to transform our life. That's our request this morning. We pray that you would do an incredible work in our life as we think about this scripture. 
And we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. If you have your bulletin this morning, you see that we're going to look at four important things about the story that we've looked at. As we have eavesdropped on this moment with God, this very uh, unique and individualized and important moment with God, it wouldn't be hard for us to pick out the uniqueness, would it? But what I want to do this morning is not point out the uniqueness of what's happening between Jonah and God, I want for us to find some common thoughts that that resonate not only with Jonah chapter 1 verses 17 through Jonah chapter 2 verse 10, I want for us to find some things that are true for our life as well. And so I believe the four things that we're going to make notes on this morning are in fact four things that are not only true of Jonah, but are true of us. And the first one is this, oftentimes humans misunderstand salvation. Oftentimes people like you and myself and the people around us, people that we love, people that we bump shoulders with in the grocery store, people that we work with at our jobs, people misunderstand salvation. Here's what I mean by that. If you were to go out onto the street and you were to take a camera and you were to go out with your camera and your microphone and do the man on the street thing and say, hi, have you ever heard of Jonah before? And they may say yes, but if they didn't grow up in church, it's one of those stories that's well known. And you say, can you tell me what God did to punish Jonah for disobeying him, chances are they're going to say to you, well, a big fish swallowed Jonah. Absolutely not. What they would say is a whale swallowed Jonah. That's what they would say. But it doesn't say it was a whale. That's another sermon, though. It's another Bible study. But anyway, most people think that, that the judgment that Jonah incurred upon himself was the fact that he was swallowed by a big fish. It couldn't be further from the truth. That was his salvation. He was sitting out there like a cork in the sea, getting ready to die. His judgment had already passed. And he was getting ready to die in his judgment. And God sent salvation for him. And sometimes we don't even see it. Sometimes we misdiagnose it. And I think there's a reason for that. And so I, if, if, this, if, if I'm blowing your mind this morning with the understanding that the fish is not the judgment of God, but the salvation of God, here's what I want you to understand. There's a reason that we often do that. And it's because, quite frankly, salvation is usually more messy than we want for it to be. It usually is. Now, so verse 17 says that Jonah was swallowed by a fish. And verse 10 gets even more like gory and yucky. And it says that the fish, God spoke to the fish and it vomited out Jonah onto dry land. Isn't that fun to think about before lunchtime? Doesn't that bless you? But it's a messy scenario. And isn't it true that we want life with God to be neat and clean and wrapped up in this bow? And I just want to tell you, That's not real life. And when God gets involved in our life, it can be messy sometimes. So one way we misunderstand salvation is we misdiagnose it. But another way that we misunderstand salvation sometimes is we have to understand that salvation is from God. 
Jonah was bobbing up and down in the way. He couldn't do anything for himself. And this is another reason that sometimes this is so hard for us to accept and to swallow and to embrace because we like to think we're tough. And we like to think that I can bring salvation to myself and I can do what I need to do to be right with God and I can do what I need to do to save my soul and to make right for all of the unrighteousness or wickedness or sinfulness in my life. There's something I can do. Well, we are in the same spiritual condition as Jonah. There was nothing he can do. I want you to understand something this morning. This is a basic fundamental Christian doctrine. And this is not like the fellowship's doctrine, all right? This is the doctrine of the word of God. We can't save ourselves. Fundamental truth. And until we embrace that and call out for the mercy and the help of God, we can't be saved. And so if this is new information for you, I just want you to understand that is why the cross is so significant. Because Jesus paid for the sins of humanity on the cross. Now he was without sin, so he didn't deserve the cross. He went to the cross to pay for my sin and to pay for your sin and to pay for the world's sin. And that's why we talk about the cross so much. That's why... We celebrate the crucifixion of Jesus. Have you ever thought about how strange that is to celebrate the crucifixion of Jesus? Well, here's why. Because only, only in Jesus do we have salvation. We, you and I are like Jonah, bobbing in the sea, waiting for God to come. So, salvation is messy. Salvation is from God. Third thing, and we'll move on, is this. Salvation transforms our life. Salvation transforms our life. We don't experience the saving power of the Lord, of Jesus, and receive that and become a follower of Jesus or a Christian or a citizen in the kingdom of God or converted or born again or whatever language you want to attach to that salvation process. We don't experience that and then go on our way and not be transformed. True biblical salvation will bring transformation. And yet we have people who think that because they said a magic prayer or raised their hand at one point, that they're safe. I don't want to meddle in your life, but I want to love you enough to be honest with you and tell you the truth. Salvation will transform your life. And if we're at the place in our life where I look back at my life and say, I had this moment, this one time, where I said, oh God, forgive me for my sins so I don't have to burn in hell when I die. And, and then you leave that moment and think you can just live how you want and do what you want for the rest of your life because you have fire insurance? I'm being honest with you this morning. I mean, I'm, I know I'm leaning in and I'm getting deep, but I just want you to hear me say this. True biblical salvation transforms lives. And I just want to speak that word to you this morning, that when, when Jonah experienced the salvation of God, when the fish swallowed Jonah, took him deep, 
Jonah had his moment with God. We eavesdropped on that conversation. The fish vomited Jonah back out on dry land. His life was changed. You say, well, of course, pastor. If you go through that experience, how is your life not going to be changed? That's my point. For you to experience the loving kindness and mercy of God and to not be transformed. It would just be like saying, how could anybody go through what Jonah went through and not be changed? That's my point this morning. So this is what I want you to understand. So often... We misunderstand salvation because it's messy, because it's from God, and because it will always transform life. Now, in anticipation of the questions that that will bring up, I understand that there are times in my life and your life and people that you love's lives where they wander from the Lord, and they really are transformed and saved and born again into the kingdom of heaven, but they move into the season of rebellion. I understand that. My point this morning is to, make, is to make the idea or the concept that a person at some point in the, salva- in the life of the salvation, excuse me, let me back up. At the point of salvation, People's lives are transformed. And I understand that they're prodigals. And I understand that there's perhaps someone in your life that is a prodigal right now. And I'm not asking you to discount or discredit or question their salvation. My point to you is this. The biblical record is very clear. Salvation brings transformation. That's an important thing for us to understand. The second thing I want to say this morning that uh, the life of Jonah really illuminates for us is that there is a profound and theological difference in talking about God and talking to God. I want for us to think about that difference this morning. I think it's appropriate for the season of life that we're in, but I also think it's appropriate for our life in general. There is a fundamental, incredible theological difference between talking about God and talking to God. Now, if you would, go back into the Word with me, and let's look at the first verse of chapter 2 in the book of Jonah. Look with me in the first verse. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish. And here's what he said. Now, this is interesting. This is almost like a song. Like this is almost Jonah like crying out from the belly of the fish. Look at the first verse. Look at verse 2. It said, saying, I called out to the Lord. Out of my distress, he answered me. Stop there. He makes this shift. He starts out by saying, I called out to God and God answered me. And then a, a pivot happens. And the rest of the time, he's speaking right to God. Look at that in verse 2. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried. And he's not talking about God anymore. He's talking to God. And you, O Lord, heard me. I think that it is fantastic for you and I to get together and talk about God. I don't know that there's any better thing that you and I could discuss than the wonders of God. 
and the power of God and the hope of God and the expectations of God and the truths of God. But that doesn't take the place of you and I talking to God. And I want to point that out this morning because I find quite often I'm doing spiritual things. I'm talking to people about the Lord. And what I need to do more of is talk to the Lord. And so we see that shift in the second verse of chapter 2 going from talking about God to talking to God. Now look, both is a win. I'm not putting either one of those down. If you're doing one of these two things, you're winning. Like that's a good thing. If you are spending your time talking about God good but just make sure that in the rhythm and the ebb and flow of your life that you're not so much talking about God that you're not spending time in prayer and while we talk about prayer let's just look at that third point that third point is an important one for us this morning because it teaches us that there are no boundaries to prayer there are no boundaries to prayer Let's go back into the life of Jonah and let's think about what's going on in Jonah's life. He's just experienced probably the most eye-opening act of judgment that he's ever experienced in his whole life. He's just gone through this incredibly emotional time, the emotional energy that he has spent in intentionally choosing to rebel against God the emotional energy that he has spent literally running from God and getting on this boat. And the whole time his conscience is eating him up because he knows that it's wrong. He has just spent all of that energy. And he's been on that boat and he got woke up by the storm. And he spoke with these mariners. He ends up into the sea. And when he's thrown into the sea, the storm stops. What is he thinking at that point? I mean, he is just on this incredibly dramatic journey. And do you know, I'm not even sure that Jonah knew what happened the moment that the fish swallowed him. That's an interesting question. Did he know or did it just like go lights out and what just happened? We don't know. There's not very many records of this happening. Like these are scientific things that we don't know about. Do you know that you've been swallowed by a fish? But there he is. All he knows is that he's not dying anymore. Wherever I am, it's safe. It's what's What's going on? Like I'm not floating in the ocean beginning to sink down and drown. So let me tell you something. If Jonah can capitalize on this moment to be a prayer warrior, you can wherever you're at in life. I'm going to share you some thoughts about prayer. Uh, Location cannot stop your prayers. Location cannot stop your prayers. Jonah... In the belly of a fish at the bottom of the sea. And he's, as a brilliant psalmist, is crying out to God and praying. I don't know what your location will be this week, 
but I'm just going to venture a bet. It won't be this. You won't find yourself in the belly of the fish at the bottom of the sea. You may find yourself in an empty office building or in quarantine. Like there's a lot of places you may find yourself. But thanks be to God that wherever you will be this week, you can pray. Location can't stop prayers. Circumstances can't stop prayers. Whatever it is that you will face this week, you have the incredible ability to uniquely and personally connect with the God who made everything. I think Jonah did a lot of things wrong. I just want to be clear. Like, I'm not lifting him up as a hero. But one of the things that I look to him for and am encouraged by is that he understood that even in his worst circumstance, he could still pray. Now, you may reach back out and say, but Pastor Zach, you said that this is his moment of salvation. Yeah, but it didn't feel good. Like, isn't that true that sometimes God is at work in our life and it's something that he's doing for our good, but it doesn't feel good in the moment, but what it produces in the end is something that we would have never, ever imagined. And in that moment that he's at work in our life, we don't want to talk to him. Jonah is an example to us that circumstances can't stop us from praying. And I think that's an important word for such a time as this. Circumstances can't stop us from praying and seeking the face of God. Say this and we'll move on. Your past can't stop you from seeking God in the present. Of all the prophets that I would never want to be, Jonah is at the top of the list. And you'll know why at the end of this study. But I'll just tell you. Well, I won't. I'm going to wait till the end of the study. I'm not going to tell you. I'm going to make you wait. Can you imagine the humiliation? Can you imagine the guilt? You probably can. You've probably been there. If you're like me, I've been there. I have run from God, violated what I knew was true that he wanted for my life. And the shame and the guilt is overwhelming, isn't it? That may be for a different act of rebellion than it was for Jonah, but you've been there. You know what it feels like to be rebelling against God. Your past tries to eat up your present and destroy your future. Well, it doesn't have to be. And one of the glorious things that Jonah, this Old Testament story teaches us about the current moment is whatever is even in your immediate past doesn't have to stop you from having a moment with God. Wherever it is and whatever's happening in your life, that is important for us. To comprehend. That again is the reason that Jesus' life, crucifixion, burial, and resurrection is so profoundly important for us. 
Because it gives us access to that reality that Jonah experienced. His past didn't destroy this moment from him having with God. So our past doesn't have to stop our present moment with God in prayer. And the last thing that I want to say to you, and this will take a little bit to develop, but I just want to make this point. If you're making notes this morning, the fourth point is that mercy is available. Mercy is available. Now, you may write that down and go, that doesn't seem very profound, but I want you to track with me for a second. In fact, I want to say four things, and then we'll, we'll close our time with prayer. But I want to say four things about this idea that God's mercy is available. The first thing that I want to say about God's mercy to Jonah is that Jonah requested it. Look with me in verses 2 and 7. Verse 2 says, I called out to the Lord. He's asking God for mercy. He has the audacity to be in this moment of rebellion. And the only reason that he's alive is because God saved him. And he has the audacity to cry out to God for mercy. Wow. He calls out for mercy. Look at verse 7. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. I want to ask you one question this morning. Are you crying out to God for mercy? Maybe your location in life has you muted. Maybe your circumstances in life have you muted. Maybe your past has you muted. Would you look? at the life of Jonah and be inspired to call out to God for mercy. So that's the first thing that I want to share with you about God's mercy. The second thing is that mercy was not only requested, but it was extended. We cannot look at this story and not understand that this is an act of God's mercy. Look back with me in verse 2. It says, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol, I cried out, and he heard my voice. Good verse 6. At the roots of the mountain, I went down to the... He's talking about the process of drowning. The weeds were wrapped around my head, and I was sinking, and I was going down to the foundation of the land. And the bars of death were about to close upon me forever. And yet, God's mercy brought me up with life out of the pit. We're eavesdropping on moments with God and Jonah is saying, I cried out for mercy and God gave me mercy. And then you ask yourself, okay, and then what? God gave mercy to Jonah And then what happened after that? And we see the answer towards the end of what Jonah is talking about because he says two important things. The first is that it caused him to celebrate. Look in verse 9. But with the voice of thanksgiving, I with the voice of thanksgiving will sacrifice to you. Now I understand that the language of sacrifice seems a little strange to us in 2020. We don't do animal sacrifices. It's not something that we do. But you listen, we do bring sacrifices to God. We bring the sacrifice of 
of praise. We bring the sacrifice of obedience. There are things that we do in our life that we do them simply to honor God because we want God to know that we notice his goodness in our life. And Jonah celebrated God's mercy. And I would say to you this morning, as a spiritual practice, as we think about the context and the culture that we're in and and the need for us to live with great discernment and great wisdom and navigating this balance between what's true and what's causing panic and all of the stuff that's going on, can I just encourage you to do this? To rip a sheet of paper out of your notebook and start thanking God for what he's done in your life. And turn your anxiety into praise. And turn your concern or your panic into a moment to celebrate God's mercy. That's a good spiritual discipline. The last thing, and we'll pray, is that God's mercy to Jonah was renewing. You ever have those moments in life where you're exhausted and you need to be renewed. You know, I'll be honest with you, stressful weeks do that for me. I can't imagine being Jonah. I can't imagine going through what he's gone through and needing to be renewed. But he did need to be renewed. And you know, the mercy of God renewed him in his heart. Look, look in the scripture in verse 9. But with the voice of thanksgiving will I sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay for salvation belongs to the Lord. You know what he's saying? He's saying, I'm ready. What I have vowed to the Lord, I will pay. Maybe you need to be renewed this morning by the mercy of God. Maybe you need to come to a place in our busy and chaotic life for such a moment as this and be reminded that if you have the courage to cry out for God's mercy, He will hear it and he will extend it. And that is something to be celebrated and renewed by. I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet this morning. We're going to close in prayer. And as you stand and bow this morning, I remind you, my friend, of your deep need for Jesus and for the mercy that he can offer you. The book of Jonah reminds us of the life of Jesus. Even what we've looked at this morning, it says that Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. That's a foreshadowing of the life of Jesus being in the tomb for three days before he too came forth. And so even this Old Testament book points us to the glorious life and victory of Jesus. And maybe today you have heard so much of Jesus, you believe in his existence and what he did, you know that he was crucified for you. You know that he was put in the tomb and was raised again. But it's never made a personal connection in your life. I guess I would say 
You believe in the existence of Jesus, but you've never surrendered your life to him. And this morning, I want to invite you to do that. Like the song we sang, I surrender all. All to him I freely give. I surrender all. Maybe that's where you're at this morning. And if that's where you are, then at the conclusion of this service, I want to pray with you and I want to talk with you because that is easily, easily the most important decision that you'll ever make in your entire life. All of eternity depends on surrendering your life to Jesus. So if you need his mercy today in the most theological and spiritual sense, I would love to talk with you after the service. But as a body this morning, members and guests alike, we're going to spend some time practicing what Jonah taught us, crying out for mercy. Our president has called a day of prayer today. This is a national day of prayer. And you can clearly understand why. And so just right where you are, we're going to join our hearts together and we're going to ask for the Lord and his great mercy to be poured out in abundance on our federal leadership, on our state leadership, on our local leadership, on our church's leadership, and in you and your leadership in your own home. More than ever, we need God's mercy, and it feels so weird to say that because we need his mercy every day. But would you bow with me and just right where you're at, would you take a moment to not think about the mercy of God, but to call out for it? Certainly you can do that quietly, but certainly you can do that vocally as well if you want to. Pray out loud, you're welcome to. But let's, let's honor our servant leaders of this land as they call for God's people to pray. Let's respond to that right now. And if you're here this morning and you say, I don't know how to pray. I'll guide you. Be honest with God. Tell him that you don't know how to pray. But that you care about your friends and your family and what's going on around us. And with all the faith that you have in your being, you're crying out for the Lord to give incredible discernment and wisdom to the leaders that affect your life and those around you. with great love we cry out to you right now with great trust we reach out 
and seek your face, O God. We ask for your mercy for our president and all the people who are leading at a national level. We ask you to bless them with vision and with wisdom for all of our state leaders, for our governor, and all of the people that are speaking into his life. We pray for them. Lord, how we pray and cry out for mercy at this moment for all of our medical professionals. We ask you for stamina and for energy, for wisdom, for perseverance, joy, strength, hope. We pray that you protect their hearts from despair and that you give them the ability to think clearly even in the midst of long shifts. And we close with a commitment, Lord, that when we leave this place and we scatter to our homes, the places that we will be this week, that we'll be wise, but we'll live with hope. And we ask you again for mercy and for favor to have the chance to speak your hope and your peace over panicked people this week. We pray for that blessing. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.